do we reduce the gender gap on the water? It's a hard question with a complicated answer, but the answer may be found in the research of why women don't ask. Today, we're going to talk to an expert, author, and researcher to find out why women don't ask in the workplace. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is an online organization and resource center supporting a diverse workforce on the water. Today on the show, I welcome Sarah Lashever, the author of Women Don't Ask, The High Cost of Avoiding Negotiation and Positive Strategies for Change with Dr. Linda Babcock. Women Don't Ask combines fascinating research with revealing commentary from hundreds of women. This groundbreaking book explores the personal and societal reasons women seldom ask for what they need, want, and deserve at home and at work. A few takeaways from this book. Taking the first step. Choosing to negotiate at all. Developing a comfortable, effective negotiation style. Overcoming fear personal entitlement issues, and gender stereotypes. I'm so pleased to introduce Sara. Welcome, Sara, to the Women Offshore podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for, uh, for bringing me into this conversation. What first inspired you to write Women Don't Ask? How did you end up partnering with Linda Babcock on this book? Well, it's a, you know, a bit of a long story. I grew up with a mother who worked from the day she graduated from college until her first child was born had four kids, went back to work the day my sister, her youngest, started kindergarten, worked until she was 80. So I had before me a model of a different kind of woman's life, adult life, than the lives of her mother's generation, and even than the lives of a lot of her peers. And then I started my own career, and women's lives were still rapidly changing, so I became very interested in writing about women. And I wrote a lot about women in the arts, women in academia, women in the sciences, women in business. And then in, well, eventually, I met Linda Babcock. Linda is a professor of behavioral economics at Carnegie Mellon, but she was a visiting professor at the Harvard Business School, and I live in the, in the, in the Cambridge area. And so I met Linda, and she had had this observation about her graduate students, that the men would come and ask for things that would be good for their careers. Could I have funding to do this? Could I have, you know, whatever, this chance to teach? And the women would then come and say, how can you let him do that? That would have been great. I would have loved to do that. And Linda realized that this was happening a lot. Men were asking, and women were noticing that men had asked and coming and complaining. And so Linda realized that simply because she was not noticing that men were asking for things that women weren't asking for, she was actually favoring the men and giving them opportunities and resources that could be really beneficial for their careers going forward. So she thought, mm, this is interesting. Maybe there's a book here. And so when we met, um, she told me about this idea, and I loved the idea. Going back to my parents, my father had always said that you had four kids, two boys and two girls, and he said it to both of us. I mean, to all of us, both, you know, both the boys and the girls, never take no for an answer the first three times. 
And that's a really good rule of thumb. There's, you know, the counter argument, what about no, don't you understand? But in my experience in life, and certainly now that I've studied negotiation so deeply, it's a pretty good rule of thumb. Don't take no for an answer the first few times. So Linda's research, Linda's observations really fell in line with what I had already been basically motivated by in my own career. So she went back to Pittsburgh, to Carnegie Mellon, did a lot of academic research. I traveled around the country, interviewed lots of people, many, many women, also some men. And then we wrote Women Don't Ask together. And it really sort of lit up my career and it became my work, teaching women to recognize they need to negotiate more and teaching them how to do it in ways that work for women. That is excellent. In a nutshell, without giving too much away, why don't women ask? Well, in a nutshell, there are three basic reasons. If you're interested in the research, the research is fascinating. There's a lot of it in Women Don't Ask, our first book. But the three main reasons have to do with the socialization of children, what we teach little boys and little girls about how we expect them to behave in our culture as males and females, as men and women. And we teach little girls through well, we teach them both through the chores we give them, the toys we give them, the books and television shows and movies uh, we give them to watch, the behavior we model, the ways in which we speak to them, lots of different ways. We teach girls that we like them to be good-natured and cheerful and compliant. We like girls to be sweet and nice. We don't like them to be bossy or grabby or selfish or demanding. We like them to be nice. And we teach boys something different. We teach them to be little tough guys go in there, mix it up, and get what they want for themselves. And kids learn these lessons very quickly, very early, and then they grow up and they run into the next factor, which is the kinds of behavior we accept and tolerate in women as adults. And it's very well established. We don't like women that we perceive to be too aggressive or too pushy. And it's not just men who don't like them. The research, sadly, is pretty clear that other women don't like them either. And so we push back at women like this. We basically sanction them for behaving uh, in conflict with the sorts of behavior we, we accept. So we don't well, recommend them to be promoted when they've actually earned the right to be promoted. We don't recommend them for powerful committee seats. We don't include them in decision-making that can have a material impact on their futures. We devalue their work based on their personalities rather than on the objective quality of their work. Lots of different ways in which we punish women if uh, we think their behavior violates our norms for women's behavior. And then um, other women see this and they think, ah, bad strategy. I think I'll just sit tight and not rock the boat and not ask for anything and just wait to see what I'm given. So those are two of the three factors. The third factor has to do with networks. Men uh, typically know a lot about what's going on, especially men in leadership. And, of course, most of the people in leadership are men. And they mention these things to the people in their networks. They don't, uh, you know, necessarily send out an email to anybody who might be interested or qualified. They don't go and knock on everybody's door or post something on a a virtual bulletin board or a, an actual physical bulletin board, that people in power who know about these resources, these opportunities, 
it's sort of discretionary funds. They mention it to the people in their networks, and the people in their networks are typically men. Women are usually peripheral to or excluded completely from those networks. So one reason men negotiate more than women is they have more information about what they could be asking for, what's out there. And they also get a lot more advice, how to ask, who to ask, when to ask, where to ask, that kind of thing. So those are, those are the, the, three, the three main reasons. Were there any surprises in your research? Well, the biggest surprise for me was how widespread this problem is. When I started writing uh, and researching Women Don't Ask, I went and talked to women in a lot of different fields. And one of the fields I thought would provide a good control, women who are good at this, women who are professional negotiators, is law. So I went and talked to some, some women lawyers, and I was surprised that even though these aren't trained professional negotiators, very good at advocating for their clients and their companies, they would say, oh, yeah, when it comes to asking for things for myself, I, ne I never do that. I never do that. Uh, doctors, very competent, authoritative, highly trained professionals, women doctors, really not good at this. Lots of women, very senior positions in a lot of different fields, a lot of trouble with this. So that surprised me. When I think about negotiating, I think about hiring on with a company and negotiating pay. But are there other things to negotiate in life? Well, I like to say, assume everything is negotiable. Everything isn't negotiable, but many, many more things are than we assume. So what else can you negotiate? Well, it depends on, you know, your field and your position and how much authority you have and you know, what exactly you're doing. But you can negotiate for budgets. You can negotiate for staff resources or staff support, credit for work accomplished. This is really critical for women because studies show that in teams where the teams accomplish a lot, the women on the team typically get the least credit for the accomplishments of the team. So women need to make sure that there's a record kept that goes in their personnel file that's trackable of how they have contributed unfavorable or unfair evaluations, men are more likely to go in and say, I'm not sure you counted, you took into account uh, this that I did, or I don't think this is quite fair because of X. Women more likely think, yeah, does, um, I'm unhappy and disappointed, but I'm, you know, I'm going to be stuck with it. And unfavorable evaluations, even, you know, slight differences can amount over time uh, accumulate over time and have an impact on the kinds of pay you get and also the kinds of opportunities you get. Uh, safety precautions, protocol systems. I think in, um, in the women offshore world, those are probably critical. You can ask for assurances that there will be safety systems in place to, you know, to make sure that you're not at risk. Uh, equipment upgrades office location and size, titles, job assignments, tuition reimbursement, leadership training, all sorts of things you can ask for, ask about without waiting to be offered what, what you need or what you, what you deserve or what you've earned. Is there anything that shouldn't be negotiated? Well, my, I guess my advice would be wait until you have an offer and then use your whatever social antennae, your good judgment, to feel out the other person. Don't start negotiating before you have an offer. And also do your research beforehand. Find out what has been uh, offered to people in the past, what, uh, you know, what is 
traditional, what is typical, but also especially if you're in a work situation and you're asking to be promoted or given some opportunity, something that's a little different, not the the classic or traditional path, something's a little idiosyncratic, try to find out if anybody has gotten that before. Don't think, oh, you know, that's impossible. Do a little legwork. One of the places I think, um, you know, a good source of information is the people who work for people in power. The, you know, second in command, the administrators often know a lot about what people have gotten in the past that you could ask for. Or they may know, oh, yeah, such and such asked for that, and they really shut him down, or they really shut her down. So the best way to know what what not to negotiate is to do some research and try to find out what has and hasn't been possible or what has and hasn't worked in the past. Okay. So in your research, did you find that there are different types of negotiating styles? Do men tend to negotiate differently than women? Well, men do tend to, but let me just talk briefly about negotiation styles because there's a whole train of research where people teach this, help people evaluate their own negotiating styles, and there are four that have been identified, and I'll just walk through them very quickly. Uh, The first is individualists. They focus mostly on getting as much as they can for themselves, what they need. They're very personally directed. Men tend to to do that. Um, Men tend to represent their own interests in a more focused way than women. Women are more likely to be what we call cooperators. That is, they are trying to figure out what will work for both sides, sharing information, exchanging them, exchanging ideas, brainstorming, trying to make sure that both sides come out with a good agreement. Then there are competitives, people who want to win, uh, who take a more adversarial approach to negotiating. That does tend to be more typical of men than of women. And then there are altruists, pretty rare, pretty unusual and they are really more focused on making sure the other side does well and not uh, paying attention to what uh, what they need or what would benefit them. And that it's not very common, but more typical, I would guess, uh, for women to be altruists than men because women do tend to worry more about what's going on on the other side of the table. Oh, this is going to be really hard for him. Oh, he's putting out a lot of other fires. Uh, his budget was cut. He's, you know, having a hard time for this reason or that reason. And my advice would be let whoever's on the other side of the table take care of himself or his his issues and you focus on what you need. That doesn't mean in a, an individualistic way, but don't go overboard in the other direction. Generally speaking, women and men are paid by position in the maritime and offshore energy industries. When it comes to the hiring process, I personally have never seen parental benefits talked about. If a woman desires to have a career on the water and start a family, do you have any advice for her on how she could negotiate that when hiring on? Well, uh, that's a larger question, or it's a, I think it's a bigger, broader initiative than one woman walking in and saying, can you, you, know, can you make some accommodations or what are your policies? I think... First, you know, all women need to work through professional associations like women offshore offshore to raise the importance of this issue throughout the industry, persuade the leading employers that this is critical and will be good for them as well as for women, and talk to the press, uh, make sure it's written up that there is, in fact, uh, greater attention paid to this uh, to this issue. 
As far as women, individual women, I think they need to do their research into organizations, employers, ships, whatever, that have a track record of supporting women in this way. So you're choosing where you apply based on which organizations, which employers are going to be more receptive if you bring that up during uh, during the conversation. I don't know if there are a lot of them, but try to figure out who they are. Um, find men who are receptive to being your allies in this, men who have families themselves who'd like to have some accommodation, make it more possible for them to stay in touch with their kids and, and their partners, and help ask them to help you make this more uh, a more high-profile issue, and work towards critical mass. The more women you have who are asking for this, the more women and men, uh, the greater likelihood that it will be received well when you walk into your own personal negotiation. I like that a lot. I think that men, there are a lot of men out there who want to see more women in this industry, and they could benefit from all of us asking for a parental leave. Exactly. So say a woman wants a promotion at work specifically, or just new responsibilities. What are a couple tactics she can use to negotiate? Well, um, you know, a few things. One is I'm, I always tell people to do their research, find out what the uh, what the context is in which they'll be making. Uh, she'll be making her request. Is there something going on that would make it very well received or are there some constraints the boss is struggling with that will make it more difficult to have funds been directed in, you know, the direction of what she wants to do or funneled in another direction. Um, you know, who's she going to be asking? And is there anyone not in the room who's going to have some say over the, uh, over the decision? Find out as much as you can about the context and also about who else is doing this. Where do you compare? Where does she compare um, to the rest of the talent pool at her level? To, so she can go in and say, I actually have some skills, some, you know, some experience that most of the people doing this don't have yet. So she can make a really good argument um, that she, you know, qualified or overqualified or especially qualified to do this. So what are what are the comps, essentially? Who else is uh, is doing this and how do they compare? And then, um, you know, the style piece is really important for women. Do not come off as demanding or threatening or whatever, overbearing. That does not work for women. Men can just go in and say, hey, this is what I've done. I'm ready. Give it to me. <laughs> it doesn't work so well for women. Women need to manage the inter relational dynamics, manage the relationship in the room to uh, to ensure that the other person can basically hear the justice of their proposal. So if a woman comes in and says, look, you know, I got this other offer. If you don't, you know, match it, I'm going to walk or I'm ready. I want this. The other person might feel that as, you know, too aggressive or, you know, overbearing, pushing and say, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Whereas if a woman goes in and uses her social skills to come off as upbeat, cheerful, friendly, likable, she has a better chance of getting what she wants. Research shows that, <clears throat> excuse me, in order to be persuasive or, or likable, I mean, in order to be persuasive or influential, excuse me, women need to be perceived as likable. Uh, men just need to make a good argument. <clears throat> so I would say knock on the door, say, is this a good time? I say, I really love working here. You're a great boss. I love my job. 
but I'm ready to do more. Or I have this other offer and it's a good offer, but I'd really rather stay here because I love what I'm doing. Is there any way, you know, we could talk about me getting promoted or match, you know, matching the offer from what your competitor? So the style piece, ask in an upbeat, unthreatening way, really critical for women. Okay, that's a lot of pressure, though. (laughs) It is a lot of pressure. It's unfair. It's dumb that women need to work so hard to make sure the other person in the room is having a good time, basically. (laughs) It is a lot of pressure. It's sort of a narrow tightrope. You don't want to come off as flirtatious or kittenish or too passive. But you don't want to come off as, you know, overbearing, stern, you know, overly serious, whatever. So it's a pretty narrow tightrope, and it's not fair. But if you can use your social skills to do that uh, as a woman, it does increase the likelihood that you'll get what you want. It will also make the whole interaction a little bit more pleasant because the other person won't get his or her backup. It's going to be him, his, his backup, um, and, uh, and resist what you're saying. The other thing I would say is if you feel like that's hard for you, you know, if you're really a technical person or a, you know, whatever, not outgoing, not an extrovert, try to get together with somebody that you trust, a colleague, a friend, a family member, and brief this person about the negotiation, what you're worried about, and play it through several times and get their feedback about, you know, when you're, you know, when you're thinking hard, you furrow your forehead, you look kind of stern and, and judgmental, or you look off into space and you look like you're not listening, or you tap your foot because you're nervous, seems like you're impatient, um, you know, your face looks blank, like you're not listening. Get that kind of feedback, and also feedback like, you know, when you smile, I, whatever, I give you anything, or you need to make more eye contact, you have beautiful eyes, you know, look at me. Um, and that can help you, you know, whatever, abide by that expectation that you're going to be likable, even though it feels like, you know, a step backwards for women. Yes, it does. But I think it is pragmatic. And so I recommend it to your listeners for their consideration, because if you can get into a, a higher leadership role, if you and lots of other women can climb the ladder, then maybe you'll have more impact on it how women can ask you make it more permissible for women to ask in the ways that express their personalities where they don't have to work so hard. Absolutely. That, that would be just great seeing more women and higher roles on board their ships. One of the things that I, I want to address that you said was about the comparisons and reading in your book about how in some of these studies, women, when they did compare themselves, they only compared themselves to the women that they knew um, had been in a role or uh, had paid themselves a certain amount and not the men. Excellent point. So could you talk a little more about that and what you found? Sure. When you do your research about what's possible, what's uh, reasonable to ask for, how high you should aim, you need to talk to men as well as women. Because if you just talk to women, you're going to be talking to people who think you can only get about 80% of what's possible. That's about the wage gap. It varies regionally, varies by industry. But women typically have an inaccurately depressed sense of what is what the market will bear. So you need to talk to men as well as women. You need to compare yourself to men with the same qual- uh, qualifications, credentials, years of experience, skills and talents not just to women. 
because if you compare yourself to women, you are going to aim too low. Uh, and it, there's another piece of it, which is that men tend to apply for the next role. They tend to raise their hands and say, I'm ready to, you know, to go forward based on what they believe their potential to be. Women tend to apply for the next role or a new role based on what they've already proven conclusively that they can do. So a man will apply for a position. There's been a lot of press, uh, to, uh, you know, attention on this statistic lately. Men will apply for a position if they have 60% of the qualifications listed in the job posting. Women won't apply unless they have something like 95% of the qualifications. Wow, that's a big difference. It's a big difference, yeah. So if you are thinking about doing something that is a stretch, it's a little out of your comfort zone that is you know, going to call on experienced talents you haven't developed yet, go and talk to a man and thinking about you the same way he thinks about himself. He might say, you should totally go for that. You'd be great at that. Uh, if you talk just to women, they might say, well, tell me what's on your CV again or tell me what's on your resume. Tell me what you've already done. Uh, again, thinking about themselves the way I uh, think about you the way they think about themselves. And so it's good to get that uh, little nudge from men saying, yeah, you should go for that. Great. I, I really like that. Uh, just doing more research beyond talking to the women. In your second book with Dr. Linda is all about how to negotiate. It's called Ask For It, How Women Can Use the Power of Negotiation to Get What They Really Want. You two saw a need for that. Can you tell us a little more about how you came to write this second book? Sure. Well, when Women Don't Ask came out, we went on a book tour, and then we were invited, uh, even when the book tour was over, to come and give a lot of talks, uh, teach, uh, you know, teach a lot of women that this was an important issue. And we kept hearing from women, both in person after our talks and by email, who would say, you know, I'm convinced. I see myself in all your stories. I recognize this research. I'm persuaded I have this problem. Tell me what to do about it. And Women Don't Ask really is social science. It's social science written in a very accessible way because I wrote it. So <laughs> I think it is really a very readable book. Um, but it is mostly establishing that this is a genuine phenomenon, looking at the costs and the causes of this uh, difference between men and women, and talking some uh, at the end about interventions, things you can do differently. But it's not really a how-to self-training manual. So we began to realize that this was something that women needed. And there are a lot of good negotiation books on the market, lots of good books. But there wasn't one that was dedicated to helping women with the issues that particularly bedevil them when they try to ask for what they want. So that is why we decided to go ahead and write Ask For. After listening to your books, oh, I listened to the second book on Audible and read the first book, I just had to share this material with everyone. That's part of why you're here on the podcast, uh, specifically with supervisors on my ship. I want them to know that this, this is a problem and they can do something about it. So say I'm a supervisor overseeing the work of female talent. Knowing that women generally don't ask, what can I do to enable them to ask for what they want in their careers? Well, the first step is to recognize yourself as a supervisor 
that it's not doing you any good to have talented women sitting in roles that are beneath their capabilities, that you're not making the most of their talent. You're badly managing your human resources if the women you supervise are sitting there not telling you what they want, what they think they need to be more productive or more effective, and where they want to go professionally. As a, as a supervisor, as a boss, part of your commitment to the organization is to cultivate the, the staff, cultivate the, uh, the, basically the, the whole community of workers so that everybody is doing uh, the most that they're capable of. They're bringing their full selves to work. So once uh, supervisors have recognized that, then it's time for them to basically explain that to women. It's like, I can manage you better if I know what you need. I can manage you better if I know what your professional goals are and what you think you need to get there because I want you to be happy. I want you to be doing the work you find most rewarding because happy people are more productive. They do the best work. And so as a boss, as a supervisor, I want you to treat me as your ally and tell me what you want. Tell me what you need and mentor women about the importance of doing that and, uh, you know, Send them to negotiation training workshops. Help women if there are, you know, a few women on board a particular ship. You know, give them all, ask for it, and say, I'm going to give you a little time. Work through this book together. You know, ha- you know have a book group, do some practicing, and um, I'm going to support you in, you know, setting aside time uh, to do that and buying books for everybody. That's great. I would love to see that more in our industry and just – supervisors recognizing that women don't ask and providing a place where they can help them get to where they need to be. Before you wrote these books, did you consider yourself a negotiator? Well, I told you what my father said, don't take no for an answer the first three times. So I, I considered myself somebody who stuck up for what I felt I needed or wanted or what was important to me. I didn't frame it as negotiating and I didn't really have skills. I didn't understand that there had been decades of research into what works and what doesn't, how to prepare, how to think about what to ask for. So I wouldn't say I called myself a negotiator. And working on this material with Linda really did help me because I learned a lot about how to do it better, how to aim higher. That's a huge piece for women. There's a direct correlation between your goal or what you're aiming for when you go into negotiation and what you get. Women tend to aim much lower than men. And so it really did help me develop some skills. And, of course, once Women Don't Ask came out and I started to have this secondary career as a speaker and as a trainer, I was in the position of having to do a lot of negotiating. People coming, you know, asking me to come and and speak or teach workshops and Everybody has different budgets. A lot of people want you to work for free. Uh, you know, I have my own needs and conflicts and constraints in my professional life and at home. So it did provide me with a lot of the skills to do that well and feel comfortable and confident doing it. So one more question for you. As we all know, women only make up about 3% of offshore energy and 2% of the maritime industry. Do you have any last pieces of advice for women wanting to propel their careers on the water? Well, I would say mentor other women, recruit other women. Once women reach critical mass in a particular group, a division, a department, a 
whatever team, and they tend to do better, have more power, less subject to stereotypical judgments about their work and about what women can and can't do. And critical mass is not 50%. It's more like 25%. So try to bring other women along with you. Try to you know, communicate to women why this can be a rewarding career and you know, serve as their advocates and take them with you because helping other women will help you too. Great. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you coming on this show and sharing your research. It's been great. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. I really admire what you're doing. I really admire women who work in uh, this industry, and I wish you all the best of luck. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore Podcast, Episode 7. What did you think of the show? Write me an email, hello at womenoffshore.org. On the next podcast episode, you and I are going to hear from ship's agents all the way in Singapore. They're going to tell us about what their job's like and what the future holds for ship's agents, even when there's autonomous ships. Until next time, stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon.